good singing. And I think we're blessed with good singers. And Mark, you and I will just have to wait to heaven and to sing uh, publicly anyways, right? I want to talk to you about suffering this morning. Uh, this is not a message that I would want to preach or anybody would want to preach. And it's not a subject that we would want to talk about. Because suffering comes in all kinds of packages, all kinds of forms. But I will tell you this, suffering comes to everyone. And the reason suffering comes is because of the fall of man. There was no suffering before Adam sinned. Could you imagine being in the garden, the most pristine environment ever? No sin, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. All was glorious. I mean, it was probably 82 degrees with no humidity, a beautiful, glorious breeze blowing through there, and all of the luscious fruit you could think of, that fresh that you could eat, no GMOs. And uh, you could eat all of that fruit and you could enjoy and you could partake of it. And now we flip after the fall. Adam sins. Everything is changed. Sin is introduced to the world. Death is introduced to the world. And as a result, we will suffer. Many of you know the story of Job. You know what Job said? Job said, Man that is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Doesn't that summarize it? And that's the world we live in. And we know, biblically speaking, that these things will perhaps come in greater severity the closer we get to the return of Christ. There will be a different kind of suffering that we'll talk about at a later date. But I just want to start by talking to you about this suffering. Suffering in this passage in the Greek, it actually means to be affected. To be affected. It, the Oxford Online Dictionary says to have something painful, distressing, or injurious inflicted or imposed upon one. In other words, suffering, what it might be for you, might be totally different to someone else. And you can't say, well, my suffering is more severe than their suffering because you're not going through their suffering and they're not going through your suffering. So let's not worry about anybody else, but let's worry about ourselves. Let's talk about this matter of suffering. In the Bible, Peter begins to speak to us. He has written wonderful things. I took a few weeks off there and we talked about worship. And we come back to the text and he says this in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Do you know that you can arm yourself today so that when suffering comes... You can survive it. It always cracked me up. You know, I grew up in an age where pastors were supposed to be visionaries. And they wrote books on how to catch a vision. I read all these books. And we're supposed to cast these wonderful visions for the church. And I remember thinking, you know, I would write this vision statement down. I'd have this vision statement. It would be packaged nice and neatly. And oh, it was wonderful. But it was divested from real life. And I realized that, if you want to be honest, pastoring is the same as you in that we're trying to survive today. 
You know, we're thriving. No, we're, not. we're surviving is what we're doing. Because this is not our home, church. And if we catch this, this earth is not our home. There is an afterlife. There is an eternity. And you and I will spend an eternity in eternity, either in heaven or hell. And if you're living your best life now, one preacher said you're probably on your way to hell. Because your best life now will be when you get to heaven with the Lord. And so we think about this. Peter says, Jesus knows about suffering. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us He was in all points tempted as we are, yet He was without sin. Everything that you would ever face through temptation, Jesus faced it. But the only difference between Jesus and us is He didn't succumb to the temptation. He overcame the temptation. As a matter of fact, we also were told that Jesus is our high priest and that He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our suffering. If anybody knows what you're going through, it's Jesus. If anybody knows, it's Jesus. And He loves you and He feels your pain. Haven't you heard that before? Oh, I feel your pain, brother. Yeah, no, you don't. Oh, somebody said, if I could take your whip and I'd take it for you. No, you wouldn't. Or you'd take it. Because you could. You ever think about that? I always hate when... This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. No, it ain't. Let me hit you. That's when they used to paddle. They don't do that now. It's time out, which doesn't work. They go in there some of their phones. But that's another story. But uh, the point I want to make is this. Jesus knows all about our suffering. And guys, I want to be real with you today the best I can from the Scripture. Before we can understand any of this, Peter tells us, be armed with the same mind that Jesus had. Please listen to me. You cannot separate your mind from your spirituality. You cannot. Why? Because your mind is Satan's battleground. Not your heart. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan can't have your heart. He can't enter in your heart. But I will tell you this. He can sure enter your mind and make a mess of your mind. So he tells us, arm yourselves also with the same mind as Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' mind? Well, if you'll turn with me to Philippians uh, quickly. I, I want to go there, because, and you know it, you've read it, you've seen it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the Bible says this, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why does he tell us that? Why does Peter tell us that? Peter tells us that because we need to understand humility. Before you can arm yourself, before you can get through the difficult things, you and I first must be humbled. And humbling is not fun, right? The Bible teaches us to humble yourself. It's a thing that we do. And if you don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God will humble you. So we come this morning to this text 
in humility. God, what do you say? God, what do you tell me about this matter of suffering? It's very important. What do you tell me, Lord? What do you have to say? Because some of you are suffering with pain. Some of you live with chronic pain every day. Some of you struggle with emotional fatigue and emotional pain. Some of you have family difficulties in here. There are all kinds of different sufferings. And the common denominator of all the suffering is that it's difficult. No one wakes up in the morning and says, Hallelujah, today I'm going to suffer. I did have a friend who was on vacation one time. We were texting back and forth. And I said, how's it going, brother? And he said, suffering for Jesus. And he took a picture walking on the beach. It was a joke. It was a joke. I didn't find it very funny because it was like 20 degrees up here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not texting you anymore on your vacation. But think about this. He says this. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now I'm not going to sit up here and say I presume to know the purpose of suffering in your life. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying for the life of the believer, suffering will provide a result. I am not saying that the reason you're suffering is, number one, because of sin. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. You remember when Jesus healed, uh, they asked Jesus, this man has been blind from birth. Who did sin? Him or his father, his parents? And he says, Jesus said, no, but that the glory of God may be revealed. The purpose of that man's suffering was so that he could be healed so that everyone would see that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's not necessarily. It could be. Suffering because of sin. But this will happen. Suffering will bring you closer to God. There have been those who let suffering run them away from God in anger. But if they're genuine believers in Christ, they always come back to Him. He brings them back. You know, we are people that have to do things right now. We have to have things done right now. Now, we're a microwave society. We want it done quickly, and we sacrifice quality for quickness. Let's get it done. Let's get it over with, and let's go on. Let's hot and ready. Everything that's advertised to us, get it quick and satisfy your needs. God is not. God is patient, and He patiently woos and works in the life of believers to bring him to the place, to bring her to the place he wants us to be. And what happens when we suffer, we take our eyes off of the things of the world and we look to God and we try to get into God's will. If you're wise. That's what suffering does in our lives. Notice he says in verse two or verse three, for we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles. That word Gentiles there, people think, oh, he's just talking about people that are not Jews. The actual interpretation of that is heathens or evil people. 
And what Peter is saying is, listen, before you came to faith in Christ, you spent enough of your past lifetime living in that world. But you are not in that world any longer. You're no longer in that world. And he goes on and talks about that world. He describes it as lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And he says this, in regard to those things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. The guys you used to run with, they think it's strange that you no longer run with them. Remember the song that Harry sings, The Old Man is Dead? They're going to wonder, what in the world's wrong with you? Why don't you run around and do the things you used to do? I'll tell you why. Because you've come to faith in Christ, you have the attitude of Christ, you've humbled yourself, and now God is going to do a work in your life. So let's talk about this matter. What do we do? How do we get through this suffering? Now I want to say, full disclosure up front, there's no formula. When you're going through a a, a struggle, when you're going through, the only thing I can tell you is that you need God more than you've ever needed Him. You need the Holy Spirit's power more than you've ever needed Him. You need Jesus more than you've ever needed Him. And what you need to do is surrender to Him and follow His will. That is not an A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3 plan. That is a lot of trial and error. That is a lot of tears. That is a lot of mistakes. But God will bring it to pass. Do you know that I'm told, I don't know this to be a fact, but all of Job's suffering lasted seven to nine months. We read the Bible and think it was a lifetime that he suffered. Someone has said God didn't bring it here to stay. He brought it here to pass. And I will tell you, you cannot go around suffering. You cannot go over suffering. You cannot go under suffering. You can only go through suffering. And so, Peter lays out for us and he says, those people that wonder why you won't carouse with them and hang with them, they're going to answer to God. And this is the reason, he says, that the gospel was preached to the dead. What he is saying there is those who were once alive on earth but dead in their sins and the gospel was preached to them and they believed the glorious gospel, they were changed and they were made alive. And he says for this reason, the reason the gospel was preached to them is because everyone will give an account to God. That's the reason the gospel is preached. You will stand before God in one of two judgments. There is what we call the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is where everyone of all time will appear at the end who refused or rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone at the great white throne judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. No one will survive that judgment. And the only reason is because they refuse to accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. The other judgment is the judgment of the believers. It's the Bema seat judgment. Bema means a raised platform. At the end, you and I will stand before Jesus and we will give an account of what we have done since we've been saved. Sin won't be in question. Sin was judged at the cross. If you're a believer, your sin, past, present, future, were judged on the cross. 
paid for in full. When you and I stand at the judgment seat, we will be judged for a reward or a loss of reward. And I hear things like this all the time. And people, if you say it, I'm going to say this. And if it offends you, I'm sorry. People say this, well, as long as I'm there, I'm okay with it. That is ignorance. When I say ignorance, I'm not calling you a moron. Uh, The Bible word for ignorance means uninformed. You're just uninformed. If you think that when you get to heaven, I just want to make it there. I don't want to have any rewards. And you stand before Jesus Christ, you have no clue of the magnificence of our Savior. As a matter of fact, everyone who saw Him resurrected was forever changed by that sight. John on the Isle of Patmos, when he received that vision, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. But our society makes very little of the glory of Christ in our world. So you'll be at one of those two judgments, but everybody will appear before God. And so then he says now, but the end of all things is at hand. I'm not a real smart person, but I can look at the Bible and I can look at what's going on and I can tell you that we're following the path the Bible says we're going down. I don't know if today will be the last day, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. And any doctor will tell you this. Each one of us faces eternity every moment we breathe. You are but one breath away from eternity. So Peter could actually say the end is near. If you will ask a doctor who knows about medical, uh, anything about medical and he's a good doctor, he'll tell you if you are healthy, you are simply dying at the slowest possible rate. Do you know the guy that wrote the book on running, who was an avid runner, had a heart attack and died while he was running? He was very fit. Some people say, that's why I don't run, preacher. (laughs) Well, and another guy asked me, I used to love to run. Another guy asked me, he said, hey, you run all the time, don't you? I said, yes, I do. And he says, how come I've never seen a runner running with a smile on their face? I said, it's a good, good observation. I don't know. But I will tell you this. If you are healthy, you are dying at the slowest possible rate. Everyone in here is going to die. And we don't like to die. And as a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us, uh, David said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than it is to the hall of feasts because the living will take it to heart. We will consider our lives and we will consider, am I ready to face this death? He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now listen, here's what I want to tell you. Here's something. Now again, this is not a formula. This is just what Peter says we need to be doing in these days of suffering. Number one, pray. Pray. Be watchful and pray. Now let me ask you a question. Aren't we good at talking about prayer? Uh, Max Licato, one of the revolutionary things I read one time in his book on prayer, he said, I am a recovering prayer wimp. And I thought, that's it. That is me to a T. As a pastor, I talk an awful lot about prayer, but do I seriously pray? I know just the other day we were talking about in our, our discipleship uh, Bible study yesterday morning, some of the men and I were talking about it, and I said, guys, I want to tell you, Friday I had some things to do. I worked late on the vehicle Thursday night. Friday morning I got up, I had to finish it, had some things to do, and Friday I got busy and did some things and did some things and did some things, and I came home at night and I was exhausted. I got the Bible and I thought, you know, I'm going to read the Bible. And I lay down in the bed and guess what? I didn't read the Bible. 
And I'm telling you this. I thought about it the next morning. You know, I think I only prayed when I ate. I had no communication with the Heavenly Father. And I think about prayer. And I think, man, we need to learn to pray. Is that not what the disciples asked Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. Why? Because Jesus was always going and talking with the Heavenly Father. And you know what I love about prayer? Can I just be honest with you? I love you all. But I hate praying up here publicly. I do not like to pray publicly. You know why? Because there are many times I find myself praying so that you hear me and not even thinking about the one to whom I'm speaking. I'm sorry. I just got a scatterbrained mind. Squirrel. You know what I mean? And, uh, but there are times when I'm alone with God and I just talk to Him like I talk to you. I don't have to use this King James language. I don't have to use this other stuff. I don't have to be smart. I can be me. And just talk to God. Just talk to God. And we've lost that in our churches. We, we relegate prayer to something that we do before we eat or before church starts or at church. But it's not part of our daily lives. And Jesus understood that before He started His day, He was often alone with the Father. And the Bible does record some of His prayers, so we do get to see some of the things that He prayed. Yet, we struggle. But it's in the time of suffering that we, that's when we need God the most. And that's when we pray. And I'm telling you, there's been a time in my life, in multiple times, but there's been a time in my life when I, I, I just could pray. And I, did, I just wanted to be alone. I would walk. I'd do something. I just wanted to talk to God because I needed Him. And your back's going to be against the wall, church. The doctor's going to give you bad news. Something's going to happen to a family member. Your spouse might say, listen, I no longer love you. Or something to that effect. Something is going to kick you in the gut and knock the wind out of you and put your back against the wall. I will tell you this. The Bible says of Jesus, casting all our cares upon Him, for He cares for you. There's going to come a time in our lives when all you will be able to do is pray. And you know what? If you have a sincere heart, can I just give you the... I mean this wholeheartedly. If you have a sincere heart, you can't mess it up. Do you know that the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers, our jumbled mess, and presents it to the Heavenly Father? You remember Hannah when she was in the church and she was praying? She could couldn't conceive. They thought she was drunk. I think her prayers were coming out jumbled up. That's why they thought she was drunk. She was in such anguish. She knew she needed to go to the Father, but she just didn't know what to say. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, takes our... He intercedes on our behalf. He takes our prayers and He packages them to the Father. So let me encourage you to pray. I don't know what to say. Just talk to Him. Pour your heart out to Him. You can't mess it up. If, you're right, if your heart is sincere and right, pray. Pray to Him. Pray. Another thing He tells us to do, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love one for another, 
For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You, you and I never know what's going on in someone else's life. You never know what someone's going through. So-and-so is kind of cranky. You don't know what they're dealing with. You have no idea the struggle they're going through. And you know the Bible tells us this, to have fervent love one for another. What he is saying, Peter is saying, is church, we need each other. Do you know what? This is proven true. We, in facing great times of struggle, there are many times when we just want to be alone. But let me tell you this. God has said in His Word, it is not good for man to be alone. That's not just talking about when He created and Adam was by himself. That's through the entirety of life. None of us were created on an island that we were to be alone. As a matter of fact, there's a a television show called Alone. Have you ever watched it where they drop people off in different places on islands? They have to survive and whoever lasts the longest gets a million dollars or whatever. You know what the number one reason why they tap out? Loneliness. Loneliness. You know why? Because man was not created to be alone. And we need each other. Church, we need each other. We need to love one another, support one another, encourage one another. That is one of God's gifts to us in suffering. Each other. Each other. And can I I tell you this? As a pastor been with people in all different different walks of life and different situations, please, even though you've gone through it, do not tell them, I know how you feel. Don't do that, please. It is enough to say, I love you. I want to help you. What can I do for you? You don't have to tell them you know how they feel because you don't. Jesus knows how they feel, but you don't. But we need each other. We need each other. There's a story written by an author, and I forget the author's name, and please forgive me, but it's a fascinating story. He tells of his youth as a troubled youth, how he was bullied and picked on, and how he hated life. One day at school, toward the end of the day, Someone came up behind him and knocked his books out of his hands. He was absolutely frustrated and exhausted. And one fellow came over and knelt down and picked up his books and helped him and walked home with him after school and talked to him. They decided that tomorrow they would go hang out at the park and play and do some things. And later, their friendship developed. They became best of friends. In that man's diary, when he was older and wrote the story, he tells how that morning he had already decided he was going home to kill himself. That one act of kindness of the other boy helping him pick up his books and being his friend, walk home with him and just be a friend, and a wonderful friendship developed is what kept him from taking his own life. 
What am I telling you? I'm telling you, you don't know the power of loving someone else. Love hides a multitude of sins, right? When we were at Abundant Life and I was a young fellow, a missionary came in and he was talking about his kids and he said, someone told him one time, if those were my kids, I'd whip them. And that missionary responded back, if they were your kids, I'd whip them too. You know what the Bible says? Love hides a multitude of sins, right? It does. And you know what we need, church? We need to love one another with a fervent love. We need to be kind one to another. We need to be kind. Someone says, well, I just woke woke up on the wrong side of bed. As the old preacher said, go home, get back in bed, and get out the other side. It's good advice. And then lastly, I would say this. Pray, first of all. Love one another. And then he says in verse, if you'll read with me, in verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Do you know that you were given a spiritual gift? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. You might have more than that. But the gift that you have been given is to be used to serve others to glorify God. You see, you serve Christ by serving others. Did you know that? Every one of you who gather in that kitchen on Wednesday nights and fix food for those kids... You're serving Christ by serving those kids. When you stand to teach your Sunday school class, or when you sing in the praise and worship, or whatever it is you do, work the sound equipment, and all number of things. I'm sure I'm going to leave someone out. Well, you didn't say this. I'm including that, whatever it is. So, whatever it is you do, when you serve them, you're serving Him. But when trouble comes the last thing we think about doing is using a spiritual gift. But you know what? Peter says this. You can sit and do nothing and hurt. Or you can get up and do something for the glory of God and hurt. Which is going to be more profitable? Which is going to be more profitable? This is not the typical suffering. I wish I would have come up here and said, now listen, if you do A, B, C, and D, you won't have to suffer. Now there are churches that preach that. But it's funny. One out of every one of faith healers die. Think about that. And interestingly enough, I've never been able to convince a faith healer. Actually, I've never talked to a faith healer. I just talk about them. But those charlatans, I should say, no one has ever been able to convince them to go to the children's wing of the children's hospital, the cancer wing, and walk down through there and use their gift. You know why? You know why? Because they don't have money to support the charlatans. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely, I believe in healing. Do I believe that God heals? Absolutely, I believe that God heals. 
Do I believe that you have to go to a seminar to learn how to have a faith healer heal your... No, I don't. I believe you go directly to the throne of grace. There is no person to whom we have to go through. Jesus Christ is our mediator. We go directly to the throne of God. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, but I will tell you this. God loves you. I cannot answer why you have to go through your suffering. That is the number one question. I will tell you this. Some people say, you're not supposed to ask why. That's rubbish. That's a bunch of religious people talking to in religious jargon. Jesus Christ was on the cross, and the Bible said He never sinned, and He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus never sinned and He asked God, why can't we ask God? You can ask Him. I don't know if you'll ever know why. But I will tell you this, you need Him. And you can come to God and you can get strength and He will help you. It's not going to be immediate. I can't tell you if it will take one or two or three or a year. I don't know. I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omniscient. But I will tell you, based on the Word of God, His throne room is open when you're suffering. You can talk to Him about it. And He will listen. I can tell you that there's a group of people in here that love you and want to serve you. Sometimes people don't serve you because we don't know how. We don't know what to do. And I'll tell you this. God has given you a gift that will help you. And the last place you want to keep your mind is on the suffering. You want to turn your attention to God. Because the result... I didn't say the purpose. The Bible doesn't say it's the purpose. The Bible says it's the result of suffering will lead us away from sin and toward the will of God. And can I tell you, if you're in the will of God, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Can we pray, please? Father, bless this invitation for your glory.